Julia will be here next week, and I've never had the pleasure of meeting them, but I actually know their daughter. I worked with her at a summer camp in northern Saskatchewan um, by random happenstance, and she said her last name, and I was like, I feel like I know that last name. Like, it sounds really familiar. And that was just a couple of years after her parents got let out of prison, and so it'll be exciting to have them here with us as they're going to share a little bit about what they're up to now and what's coming up for them soon because they still have a heart for China, which is incredible, and a heart for missions. Today, I am going to be speaking on the way that our words work. And I know sometimes we don't really want to hear that what we say affects other people, but it does. So better in than out. Which typically, yes, you would hear the phrase better out than in is what I always say. If you've ever seen the movie Shrek, he then proceeds to um, burp. Um, but better in than out, because it's usually better for us to keep our words into our head for them than for them to come out. And uh, sometimes other things are better in than out. Sometimes they're terrible in and out. And how many of you guys have ever like ate or drank something that was way past expired, but you didn't know? This happened not even a month ago. I, it was a typical Saturday. My mom and I went to Superstore, picked up the milk. I always check the expiration date because I have a fear of drinking or eating something spoiled. Um, because my dad doesn't know, he'll just put it back in the fridge and claim it tastes like apricots. His words exactly. He has no problem with spoiled milk. I don't know why. Um, but I checked it. It was good for like a week and a half. I was like, okay, perfect. So I grabbed milk. And typically, I just put it into like cereal or like a smoothie or something. But we were having popcorn. And for some reason, I always like to have milk with popcorn. Um, so I had opened the milk. Didn't, didn't need to smell it, because it was a brand new jug. I cracked the seal that night, I poured a glass, and I took a big sip. It indeed did taste like apricots. It wasn't chunky yet, thank goodness, because I don't know if I would have recovered from that. I don't think I would have ever eaten milk again, or drank milk again, probably eaten at that point. Um, but it was nasty. I spat that out so quickly. And you know that you can just never get the taste out of your mouth after that. Like, as soon as you taste it, it doesn't leave. No matter how much water you drink, it's still there. Um, yeah, so now I smell the milk before I drink it. And I am extra, extra careful. Because the milk tastes bad when it goes into your mouth, of course. But then you have to spit it out and taste it all over again. And that's almost worse, almost. And it's kind of like unkind words. They come out of your mouth very quickly and with a vengeance, but usually the taste of them is still kind of there. How many of you guys have ever said something to somebody and immediately regretted it? I probably would see every hand up. And the point of my sermon today is to tell you, not to come up and tell you that I am perfect with everything that I say. Of course I'm not. I don't, like, I try not to say things that are harsh, I try not to swear, but if I told you that I never said those things, I would be lying to you. And that's also not being wise with my words by lying. And when I became a pastor, 
I made the decision for myself, it's not mandated for me by any means, but that I would never put on a face when I came to church. I would never say things in church that I wouldn't say at home or vice versa. I would always be true to who I was. So that if you saw me on the streets, you would never say, oh my goodness, it's a completely different person than who I talk to at church. And I would never lie to you or pretend to be something that I am not. And so this message is also still very much for me because I am not perfect with my words. And especially in this day and age, there are so many things that we can step on so many toes, but learning how to be respectful with our words is extremely important. I had a conversation with Charlene Alexander this week when she was in, and she asked me who I was voting for. And typically, I don't even get into the conversation. I don't tell anybody. My parents don't know who I'm voting for because frankly, it's none of their business. My dad says that it's public matter. I say, then why do I vote in private behind a wall if it's public matter? Um, anyway, he still doesn't know and I think it's going to bug him, but <laughs> he keeps asking. But I had a, we had an honest conversation because I know Charlene that I can trust her to be respectful with whatever I say to her. And so I told her what my views were, what I believed in, and I told her most importantly that I think about how would Jesus have voted. And my message is not today on politics, but I think it's important given the day and age that we're in with how disrespectful we can be towards other people and what they believe. And no, I will never, still never answer the question of who I'm voting for because if I tell you, no pastor should ever influence your vote, nobody should influence your vote except for you. And so today we're gonna talk about four ways to win the inner battle of saying what we're thinking versus thinking about what we're going to say. Matthew 15, 10 to 11 says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. I have another story for you guys, and this one's embarrassing for me personally, um, but it, it happened when I was like six or seven years old, so I can't be embarrassed about it anymore because that's the rule. After 10 years, you can no longer be embarrassed by it. Um, I stick by that <laughs> while I tell this. So I was in grade one, and we lived up in Hay River. And I, could, I tried to find a picture of me in grade one, but I can't. Essentially, if you think about like Boo from Monsters, Inc., that's what I looked like. Like slightly like Dora the Explorer. Yeah, same haircut and everything. Um, and my sister was in kindergarten because she's only a couple years younger than me. And we took the bus to school every day. And one day I went to school and I only know this from my mom telling me, I don't remember this happening. Um, but apparently I learned some new words, some um, exciting new words at school. And I'm sure you can guess where this is going, but I decided to share the new words with my sister on the bus. And I am not gonna tell you what I said because that's for like rated R movies. Um, but I, I called her a mean phrase, we'll leave it at that, on the bus drive, coming home from school. And my sister was upset. She didn't know what they meant. I mean, she was only like four or five, but she comes home, she runs up to the door, 
and she immediately repeats exactly what I said to her to my mom. And my mom said that her jaw just dropped to the floor and could not believe what I had said and what my sister had then repeated. And now don't judge my parents. I'm pretty sure they didn't have anything to do with this. I'm pretty sure we weren't like watching Die Hard the night before or something. Um, but my classmates decided to pass on some new words. And so I had no idea what I was saying, but what went in one ear came out my mouth, went into my sister's ear, came out of her mouth. The power of words, I tell ya. Um, pretty sure I said some more bad words after that, but the only visible, the only time I remember ever swearing in front of my parents, I think I was like 22, I said it, and then I, and I said like the biblical word for donkey, and then I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I just said that, but I'm definitely not perfect. Um, so yeah, don't, don't blame my parents for that. But just like we have a lot of language to communicate what we're feeling or maybe how we feel about siblings on the bus, um, animals have a lot of communication as well. And there was this book called Wisdom of Wolves by this couple called the Dutchers who lived among a wolf pack for six years studying and observing their society and their language among each other. And the pack, they would howl to alert. They had different types of howls. And sometimes they howled right back and forth. And so they lived and learned about wolves. And the wolves use three different languages, sense, body language, and touch. And unlike other animals, wolves have a variety of distinctive facial expressions. And these are used to communicate to their pack, just like we have facial expressions. And so the average person speaks about 5,000 words a day. Uh, I probably speak more, but that's the average person. And our words have a lot of weight to them. And words are valuable, aren't they? I mean, we have 5,000. I don't know if anybody has ever seen the movie. I think it's like 1,000 words. It has Will Smith, nope. I don't remember who's in it, but it's a movie where he only has a thousand words left before he dies. And so his words have a lot of meaning. And I want you to think about the fact that your words having a lot of weight to them. That at one point before, at one point in your life, as you stand before God, it will be determine your place into getting into heaven. It'll be, it'll be, to speak about your place in heaven. Because our words have weight to them. Our words can influence everything and anything. In Matthew 12, 36, I accidentally highlighted these verses with blue on my paper, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. My first point today is your words impact other people. And in Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Our words impact other people. So ask yourself a question before you're about to speak to somebody. Is this word a gift to them? Is it a gift you would like given to you? Kind of like when you go to like a white elephant Christmas party, or I don't know what the other words, but everybody kind of throws their presents in, a, in the middle. 
and you try and pick the best wrapped present or the present that's heaviest because you think that's going to be the best gift ends up being like a brick in the bottom of the bag and like a box of chocolates or something. Um, but is this, word a, is this word a gift that you would like getting? Is it something that if somebody put it under the tree for you, you would be excited or maybe not so excited? And that's the gift that some of us are living, leaving for other people. In Proverbs 13:21, it says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. In this song, we see that not only can our words bring death or life, and those who love to talk will face some consequences, but in the verse just before, in verse 19, it says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. The tongue can bring death to a friendship, and I've personally experienced that before, where somebody says something, and that's the end of a friendship. That's that was the line that was drawn. And I don't believe every friendship that we have is a forever friendship, but hopefully it doesn't end because of something that we've said to them. And most people will, have, will know if they are an extrovert or an introvert, for the most part. Often categories categorized as people who love to talk versus people who are quiet. And it's much more complex than that. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. That can be true. Extroverts can learn from introverts to sometimes think before they speak. And sometimes it's okay to not say everything that comes into your brain. But I think just as much so, introverts can learn from extroverts that it's okay to speak sometimes. That God gives us words for people that sometimes our words can bring life to somebody. Uh, Mark Twain said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. When is the last time you got uh, somebody complimented you? When is the last time you gave somebody a compliment? If those two times are pretty far apart, nobody's going to give you a compliment if you don't give anybody a compliment. But he can live for two months on a good compliment. I remember things that people complimented me on ten years later because, I mean, the power of the word of somebody giving you a compliment stays with you. We're supposed to be generous with praise and stingy with criticism. My next point is that our words impact the future. And in James 3, 3 to 5, it says, We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spork, spark can set a great forest on fire. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that can make grand speeches, just like TED Talks. Has anybody ever seen a TED Talk? They're like, they're really short, and they get out their point very fast. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they memorize all of that. But TED Talks are amazing. The tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Our words have the power of making a lasting impact into the future. I remember also the bad things people have said about me 10 years ago. I remember all of the things everybody has ever said to me. Not quite. But the bad things, yeah. For the most part, I remember them. 
remember how I felt afterwards. I remember how it impacted me, impacted my decisions. I remember the person that told me, you should just become a secretary because you won't make a very good pastor. I remember the people that told me that I wasn't a very good leader because I don't talk enough. Um, those are real things people have said to me. And quite frankly, it feels a little bit rewarding to see them now and have them see where I am at now. But I don't think they remember those things. I've seen those people and I don't think they remember what they said to me because they act as if nothing is wrong. But I remember, I remember that they said that to me six or seven years ago when I was working with them. I will always remember that because that is part of what fueled my fire to prove to them that I could be a pastor. That even though I primarily like working with youth and with young people, I still love talking to you guys as well. But the words can create an atmosphere and the atmosphere is a breeding ground for miracles. Jesus could do no mighty work where there was no faith. Whatever you call it, that's what it is. When your words are full of faith, impossible things can be done. And just like our words, also our prayers. We saw that with Lucy who came out of her coma. We see that so many times that our words impact the future. My third point is your words impact you. And don't worry, my fourth point is the longest in case you were worried. But your words impact you. The person that you talk to most is yourself. Sometimes it's out loud at the grocery store when you're trying to remember what thing you were there for. That's why I don't grocery shop alone because I forget half the things on my list. It doesn't matter if I'm holding the list in my hand. Do you know how many times I forget everything? It's too many, so I don't grocery shop by myself anymore because otherwise we don't have cream for a few days for our coffee. But the person you talk to most is yourself. How many? T we're probably our harshest critic, let's be real. And the voice in our head can be the critic that makes or breaks who we are. We like to tell ourselves that we are not good enough, that we don't belong where we are, all sorts of lies. But how often do we even give ourselves compliments? I can't, to be fair, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't remember the last time I gave myself a compliment and pat ourselves on the backs because it feels weird. It feels odd to compliment ourselves. But Psalms 43.5 says, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And why are you ooh, disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. I don't know which version I got that from, but it's a different version than I'm used to. But why are we downcast? Because our hope in God is that we praise him. And the help of what we do is from God. But do we often tell ourselves that? Or do we just kind of pretend that we're okay with who we are and put on a good face? Psalms 95.2 says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Our words impact us, and our words impact how we feel about everything. They impact how we feel about God. If we're putting ourselves down, we're putting down who God created and who God has made us to be. 
And in 1 Thessalonians, it says, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. Don't just think about it, speak it. Our words impact us. And lastly, but not least, your words impact the way that the world sees you. And this is one I'm most passionate about because Jesus says this in his prayer in John 17, 14 to 16. I have given them your word and your world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Jesus is having an honest chat with God about how he laments the ways that we're stuck in the world, but doesn't want us to take God to take us out of the world, but rather to keep us safe from the evil one. And I've definitely heard more times in my life and I, that we are to live in the world, but not be of it. And I agree to a certain extent, and I've thought about this a lot. It's probably one of the things I learned about even as a teenager, because I'm pretty sure I had like some older ladies who would tell me, you're supposed to live in the world, not be of it, as they waved their finger at me. But what I have trouble with is the fact that Jesus is saying that we don't belong to the world, but we're not supposed to be out of the world. Because the reason that we're put into this world is to tell more people about Jesus. And how are we supposed to do that if our world consists of the church and our Bible study and our Christian friends? Well, then they all know about Jesus. Our world is far bigger than where we go. And our words impact the way that the world sees us. And while we don't have to conform to the way that the world is, we can't just slander everybody who doesn't believe the same thing as us. And that's something I see far too often. And I am not pointing out anything to anybody here, but I do follow, I do, I'm friends with a lot of you on Facebook, so I do see everything that you post. Just a heads up. Um, just because you're behind a computer screen doesn't mean that it has any less impact on the way that the world sees us. When we speak negatively about other leaders, when we speak negatively about other people, about everything in the world, when we speak terribly about people who live different lifestyles than us, how does the world see us as Christians who are supposed to be loving, who are supposed to be like Jesus, who walked alongside people like that, who walked alongside people who were prostitutes, who went to the well, who were poor. People know that Jesus loves us. People know that Christians are supposed to love, but we do a terrible job of showing it. And I'm not talking about this church, about Lloydminster, I'm talking about the world. We do a terrible job of showing that Jesus actually loves other people who are different than us. And I will stand by that because I know I have done the same thing. I know I've been judgmental to people who don't believe the same thing as me. But what words I say will impact the way that somebody else sees me. If I say to a group of people who believe something else, oh, I hate you because you're this, and I don't like the way that you live, I don't really love you, 
well, of course they're never going to want to become Christians because then they just think that Jesus is judgmental, that the church is judgmental. And that's not who we're supposed to be. I have plenty of friends that don't believe in Jesus, that don't believe in anything, that aren't Christians. And the way that I say anything impacts the way that they see me. And I did that on purpose because when I was in Bible college, you get so stuck in this little bubble. We lived on campus. Our dorms were right attached to the building. Really, except to get groceries, there was no reason to leave. You would go to your ministry that you helped out with every week. You would go to a young adults group. If you wanted, you'd go to church on Sunday. And really, because I didn't live in Saskatoon beforehand, I didn't know anybody, but that was your world. Nobody else thought anything differently than you, except for the one guy in my class who didn't believe that women should be in ministry. Uh, then we had a good chat about it. Uh, there was more yelling than chatting, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure the professor did that on purpose. And they actually did it just to rile me up. But you can really live in that tiny little world and never offend anybody because you believe the same thing as them. And so when I had started working someplace, I had worked at Starbucks all through college, and then I also worked at a Christian bookstore. and. So I met quite a few people. I mean, working at Starbucks, I'm still friends with the people that I worked with there. Most of them don't believe the same thing as me. But you know what? We're still friends. The way that I speak impacts the way that they see Christianity. And because I've tried to treat them only with love and with niceness and supporting them through whatever they're going through, the way that they see the church through me is one of acceptance, one of love, one that Jesus would have wanted. But I knew tons of people that I went to college with that never left the Christian bubble. They didn't know anybody outside of the church. They didn't talk to anybody outside of the church. And when they did, I was embarrassed. It was frankly kind of awkward to go places with them because they would see, for example, we would go to the movies. There was a uh, theater in Saskatoon called the Rainbow Theater in the mall, and they had $2 Tuesdays. So we would go, you get to a movie for $2. The movie theater smelled weird, but you know what? It was cheap. And they would start judging people that were going to a movie that was maybe rated R. They would stand there and judge them out loud to the point where people could hear them. And this group, they see a bunch of Bible college kids. I mean, we're wearing sweaters and hoodies and t-shirts that have the logo of the school we're going to on them. They know who we are. And that could be their only experience of meeting somebody who's a Christian in that time. Maybe that's the most impactful experience of them meeting a Christian. And quite frankly, if they just heard a bunch of people bashing them, I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to go to church either if I thought that I would go there and people would just make fun of me and ridicule me. No. And I know not everybody is going to agree with me, but I want you to try and hear what I'm saying. Your words are so much more powerful than you can imagine. You have the power to push people further away from knowing Jesus without even thinking about it. With your actions, with your words, you don't even have to say anything. 
now that we're not wearing masks as often, looks can kill. And sometimes my face reflects what I'm thinking more than what I'm trying to portray. Um, but the way that we look at somebody can impact them just as much as our words. If we give them like the up and down elevator eyes and kind of scoff at them, we don't have to say anything to them. They know what you're thinking already. And even further than that, the way that we post on Facebook also has the ability to push people in a different direction. Maybe you think you're only friends with people on Facebook who are Christians. You don't know. Hopefully you have friends that aren't Christians. That's my hope for you. Because if you only have friends that are Christian, you're not really doing a great job of telling other people about Jesus. So I hope that you have friends that believe something different than you. I hope that you can have good conversations with them. And quite frankly, they may never come to Jesus. But the way that you showed them about the church, you never know what that can impact. And I stand here recognizing that because everybody has different opinions. But my job is to give you biblical information and that you can apply it to your life. If you look at all of these verses about speaking, they all portray the same message, that our words are powerful. That the way that we speak, the way that Jesus spoke, was full of care, was with patience. The way that he spoke was never the first thing on his mind. In what he speaks, yes, Jesus was sinless, and the disciples definitely said things that they weren't supposed to, but we aren't supposed to follow the disciples as an example. We're supposed to follow Jesus. That's the only one. He is the example of how we are supposed to treat others. And I hope that next time that you go to say something to someone that puts them down, bashes them, and I don't even care if you're saying it to their face. If you go to stand in line at Tim Hortons and you start bashing somebody, two people in front of you because they're wearing a shirt that says love is love, they'll hear you. Most people have ears. They'll hear what you're saying and they're never going to come to church. They're never going to grow closer to Jesus. The next time you think that you're going to say something, think about how it's going to come across. Think about the fact that before you were a Christian, maybe you were a Christian later in life, if somebody had said something like that to you, would that have completely deterred you from going to church? If it's going to make somebody cry when they go home. The words that we speak are so powerful that they can bring life and death, quite literally. On the other hand, I want to encourage you that the next time you see somebody, give them a compliment. Tell them that you like their shoes, that you are happy to see them that day. It doesn't have to be anything big. It doesn't have to be weird. But engage in conversation that's uplifting and fitting of the character of God. And try and have somebody a conversation with somebody this week that doesn't revolve around COVID or politics. Ask them what they're doing in their lives, because those aren't the only things. Ask them if they've tried a new hobby. Ask them what shows they're watching. Even if you don't know anything about that show, it's something else. It's different. Because if I think about the past two years, I get very sick of conversations about COVID and politics. And sometimes I just roll my eyes and 
I know that people that come up to me and start saying those things don't know how many people that have said them to me beforehand, but I hear them a lot. And I just want somebody to ask what I'm doing these days, what I do outside of work, because I'm not here all the time, as some people might think. Maybe the little kids think I sleep here, I don't know. Um, kind of like how we thought that teachers slept in the schools when we were young. But there's so much more to our lives outside of who we are in church, outside of everything going on in the world. Compliment somebody, ask them what they're doing. Ask them what their favorite food is, I don't know. Pretend like you're a little kid who asks people a hundred questions and they don't stop. They start asking you about your favorite number. In fact, I was in Saskatoon on the long weekend and we were staying at a hotel, my mom and I, because we went for a girl's trip. And my friend and I were at the pool and we're just hanging out in the hot tub. There was two little kids from India also in there, like four and seven years old. And they come right up to us in the hot tub. And man, they never stopped asking questions. I, we were trying to get away, but they were like, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite number? I like soup, do you like soup? I, I'm good at making soup, but my brother doesn't like soup. My mom teaches me how to make soup. I know a lot about those kids and their soup lives. They explained to me the whole plot of The Lion King over and over, um, probably for half an hour. They were pretty upset when we left because they thought that we had gone into the hot tub first and then we're going into the pool, but we went into the pool first and then the hot tub. They were trying to persuade us to stay. Um, but they just asked us questions. They were happy as a client. And I mean, I can laugh about it and it was quite nice. I mean, I know a lot about soup and a pretty good reenactment of the Lion King scene where the dad lion dies from a kid who I maybe understood like a solid 25% of the words he said, because he was like four. I didn't really understand much. But it brought a smile to our faces, because my friend is an EA at a school. We both love kids, I mean, we had no problem. It's not like we were just gonna say, oh, go away and leave us alone. That brought a smile to their day. We didn't tell them anything about Jesus. We just engaged in a happy conversation with two random kids in a hot tub in the middle of Saskatoon. But you know, they're probably going to think about that for the next couple of weeks. They're gonna think about the fact that two people took the time to sit with them and have a conversation who just wanted to be friends. They probably thought they made two new best friends that day. That's perfectly fine with me. But when we think about the Bible and what we've looked at today, what we've talked about today, better in than out. We think about that and we are just gonna brush it off sometimes, but I really want you to think about that. I want you to think about what you're going to say to somebody this afternoon if you see somebody outside of your family, if you see somebody inside of your family, I want you to think about the way that you're going to treat the Tim Hortons worker who's maybe a little bit frazzled because they're behind on time and everything's trying to work. Maybe they get your order wrong and instead of yelling at them and cursing them out like you normally would, you just smile and say, thank you, have a great day. 
Maybe you engage with conversation with your server who's had nothing but complaints all night, nothing but rude people yelling at them. Our words impact others, they impact us, the future, and the way that the world sees us. As we go out today, and before I pray, just remember that the words that we say are a reflection of who Jesus is, and we should be a reflection of who Jesus is. Let's pray. God, thank you that you gave us the ability to talk. I know not everybody has that ability, but the ability to communicate with others, and that we wouldn't take it as, take advantage of it, but we would think of it as a gift, that we can spread your love and your graciousness to everyone and everything before us. I pray that you would help us learn to reel our tongue in and to think before we speak in each and every circumstance, not just in important conversations, but in our everyday lives. And I pray that you would work through us this week, that you would give us a calmness about us, that we wouldn't get riled up, but that we would try and be more like you in how we live our everyday lives. I pray that everyone here today and everybody watching online would just have a great day, have a great week, despite everything going on in the world, that there would be things that bring them joy throughout the week and that they could bring the joy to other people that they encounter. I pray that you would, that Holy Spirit would continue to be with us throughout the week and that we would love each other first and foremost as, that, as the way that you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, there is a sign-up sheet. It's just on the tie-dye check-in booth over there. I don't know if Charlene will be quite over yet because she was teaching the kids. So make sure to go pick up your kids first and foremost. I don't think they want to sleep here. Most of them get kind of scared when I mention the idea. Um, <laughs> but go pick them up, sign up for something that you can bring. Next week, the missionaries will be with us, and we will be setting up the tables and chairs if you're able to help out after the service. Have a great week, everyone. I hope we're asking questions till the day that we die. I know that age will make the answers less important with time. So when we find ourselves a wreckage like we did.